spend our time in Philemon. Just to catch up just for a moment, we looked last week as we just began our sermon last week to highlight the importance of forgiveness. Why is this such an issue for us? And we just hit three things. First of all, it mirrors our God. We are dealing mostly with forgiveness on a, on a level between person and person, not the forgiveness we experience from God, but yet the two are always connected and always related. It mirrors our God when the command is given to forgive, we are to forgive as Christ forgave us, and we will look at that a little more. Secondly, it's important because unforgiving people do not belong to the kingdom of God. Scripture says it multiple times. We looked at those that the one who does not forgive is not forgiven. Or to say it positively, the one who is forgiven is a forgiving person. The kingdom of God does not belong to those who don't forgive. Secondly, forgiveness is absolutely necessary for the church to dwell in unity. And the love that we have one for another is the greatest testimony of God's love for us to the world around us. We see that in John, we see that in Ephesians. So with that in mind, kind of highlighting that idea of forgiveness one to another, we now come <clears throat> to Philemon. Philemon is a really interesting little book. It's, it gives us a unique glimpse into a few different things. It gives us a unique glimpse into the lives of these real people in a really tricky, difficult situation. Just like we experience today. Whenever you talk about forgiveness, whenever you talk about humility, whatever type of topic it is, rarely does it ever fall out in a nice, clean way. Life is tricky, walking in a fallen world. And so we get this glimpse into these individuals. It's very personal in that way. In fact, just these 25 verses, there's 12 individuals named. And so there's a very personal, intimate nature to this letter. I think beyond that, it gives us a glimpse into the early church. We see now as the gospel goes forth, and, and it's kind of breaking in and, and breaking the mold in a radical way of what followers of Christ, what the Christian community looks like as it begins to cross cultural boundaries, it begins to cross class boundaries, that is now you dwell in unity, not based on a class, not based on status, but on life in Christ. And as it begins to cross these boundaries, there are some new and difficult challenges they're facing the church, and this letter gives us a glimpse into the early church that way. <clears throat> but beyond that is all of Scripture. I think that it speaks in a way that really transcends a moment in early church history and speaks into the life of the community of faith, speaks into our lives right now. Because all of us deal with forgiveness all of us deal with difficulty and hurt and sinning against someone and being sinned against. And how do we then walk in unity? How do we walk in joy? How do we move forward in those times? Calvin in his commentary says, The singular loftiness of the mind of Paul, though it may be seen to greater advantage in other writings which treat of weightier matters, is also attested by this epistle, Philemon in which he handles a subject otherwise low and mean. He rises to God with his wanted elevation. In pleading this cause, he discourses about Christian forbearance with such ability that he appears to speak about the interests of the whole church rather than the private affairs of a singular individual. So this morning what we're going to do is look at Philemon and really use it kind of as a case study for us to understand forgiveness. 
I mentioned there's 12 characters. We're going to look at just three. We're going to lift, raise three characters out of this story and look at them and examine ourselves in light of them. It'll be Philemon, Onesimus, and Paul. And really, each of them you should be able to relate to. Maybe, maybe you can relate to all of them right now. Perhaps at one point in your life or another, you'll relate to one more closely, but all of them you either have, currently are, or will relate to as it comes to forgiveness. And so we will be instructed, kind of as we look at this Philemon in this letter, as a case study on how the church, how we as believers are to interact around the topic of forgiveness. So let's first look at Onesimus. Let's just draw a little bit of a portrait, a history of him. Onesimus was a slave. We see that in verse 16. We'll we'll jump around and just sort of highlight some portions here from Philemon. But he was a slave. A slave in those days was not necessarily, it's not one for one how we think of slavery in our context now. It wasn't really a racial thing. It was much more of a the class system. And so a majority, really, of that sort of lower middle working class would have been slaves or indentured servants. And so it's not a one-for-one context as we think um, of slaves. It would have been uh, someone of nobility or wealth and some sort of status who almost cares for this entire family and then in, in return they work for him, And so uh, there, there's, it's a little bit different as we would think about it. It could be across the board as we think of a slave or an indentured servant in that context of someone who maybe it is a bit more like we think in our context, all the way to someone who is a professional and has a specific skill and yet uses it for the advantage of their owner, employer, master. And yet while there is definitely not a one-for-one correlation, there is still some similarity to help us put it in context in the sense that there would be masters who would be kind and gracious and fair and treat them almost like employees or families, and there was also masters who would be incredibly unkind and unfair and treat them terribly. And there was a sense in which, as a slave, there were rights that they did not have that were given up, and the masters had almost unilateral rights to punish them how they saw fit based on disloyalty, on based on theft, whatever it might be, that their rights basically just ended with what the master, the owner thought of. And so it's in that context that we find Onesimus. That's who he was. We see in verses 14 through 16 that he was a slave and he worked for Philemon. He belonged to the household of Philemon. In verse 11, we see Paul says, formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. It goes on, and you get from the context, something has taken place with Onesimus where he has become useless to Philemon. Perhaps there was a a, a laziness or something about him, a, a dishonesty in his character, but it seems to have reached a different height than that, that Onesimus has offended. He has done something. We see later that he has a debt that he owes to Philemon. He has offended Philemon in some way. Most commentators probably agree it's the common thing that would have taken place. Onesimus is in some sort of difficulty, and he likely stole or took something from Philemon. And now he knows, you know, that is a bad situation to be in, 
and he flees to Rome. He's out and hiding in Rome, hoping to get lost in the crowd. We, Paul acknowledges, even as he talks about Onesimus, that, that, that Onesimus should be with Philemon. That, that is where he belongs. He, he has wronged him for sure. He has fled and he remains in the wrong. But somewhere in this whole situation, we see that Onesimus has now ended up with Paul. We don't know exactly how it has happened, but it is quite clear that Onesimus has been converted. He has come to Christ during his time in Rome. And in finding Christ, he found his way to Paul, whether Paul was the one who led him to the Lord or not, we don't know exactly, but he has come to Paul, and Paul has become like a father, a discipler to Onesimus, in the fact that now he has become, gone from useless in the idea of his work in the kingdom and his help in the local church, to someone who has become incredibly useful, so much that Paul loves having him around. He, is, he has become dear to Paul's heart. Paul refers to him not as slave as he gets into it, but he refers to him as his beloved brother. You notice the intimate language towards the end? He, he refers to him as, I'm sending Onesimus to you. He goes, even my very heart. This kind of close love and relationship that has grown. So we see by his behavior, we see by his relationships, Onesimus has been converted. He has come to Christ. So here he is, runaway slave, done something where he is indebted to Philemon. That's never been made right. He goes to Rome. He hides out somewhere in there. Paul finds Onesimus. Christ finds Onesimus. And he is converted. And now we see in verse 12 that Paul is sending Onesimus back to Philemon. He says, I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart This is a scary situation for Onesimus. So most likely what happened is that all of this, Onesimus, Philemon, all this is in Colossae, the church of Colossae, where this is taking place. Most likely Paul has written this letter to Philemon, given it to Onesimus, and he is sending him to go back to Philemon. So here comes Onesimus. He's wronged Philemon. It's never been made right. He's stolen from him. He has fled. Punishment is almost unilateral for Philemon to decide what he wants to do. Paul gives him a letter, sends him, hey, go knock on the door. Here comes Onesimus with his letter knocking on the door. Hey, is Philemon here? I've got something for him. He sends him back. And you have this picture then of Onesimus, someone who is in need of forgiveness. He is in debt. He has wronged. He has offended. He has sinned against Philemon. And he needs forgiveness. And Paul said, you have to go back. You have to make it right. You have to go ask for forgiveness. I think it's just interesting as we think of ourselves and put ourselves in this context of one who needs forgiveness. You've been in a situation like that before. It's interesting that here you have Onesimus, and over here in Rome, he is flourishing. He is useful. He has become one of Paul's closest 
companions, one of his dearest friends who's, who's helping and working for him. And yet he still has this unresolved sin that he needs to address, that he needs to repent of, that he needs to go and ask for forgiveness for. I say it because I think in our lives we often deal with things that were, where we, we have a relationship. We have, there's a specific area of life, a temptation, something, and we know we've given ourselves to it. But instead of addressing it, we almost kind of like make up for it by, but look how generous I am. Look how faithful I am at church. Look how I'm serving this way. And you have a lot of fruit that is real and useful. Useful to the kingdom, useful to, to the church, to others around you. And you, you are working out your faith in so many ways. But it doesn't cover or mask this area you need to address. A lot of times it is a relationship. You know you've sinned against someone, or you've offended someone, or you've done something incredibly unkind, and yet you, you serve and you work and you're being so kind and diligent to help others over here, this still needs to be addressed. Perhaps it's a sin issue in your life, a, a, a pattern of, of lustfulness or, or a pattern of immorality that you've given yourself to. And you know this is real, it needs to be addressed in my life. But look, I'm doing all of this other stuff. And just, and the Lord calls us, if we know to do right, and we deliberately go on sinning, there doesn't remain a forgiveness for sins. Hebrews says that. No longer does it remain a sacrifice for your sin. I'm not talking about living perfectly. I'm not talking about any of that. I'm talking about deliberately having an area of your life where you cherish sin. And for Onesimus, it's this relationship. And he's flourishing over here. And Paul says, you've got to go back to Philemon. You've got to make this right. So now let's transition over to Philemon. Who is he? He has a prominent role in the church and is called Paul's fellow worker. You see that in verse 1. He was led to the Lord by Paul himself. We see that in verse 19. He's probably one of the few in the Colossae church who actually knows and has met and has a relationship and obviously a close relationship with Paul, thus even giving him more of an elevated status of authority and leadership within the church. His home, those who dwelt in his home, the other believers who gathered the church there in his home in Colossae became the center of that church there in Colossae. He's obviously a man of some status of some sufficient economic standing. He was able to own slaves, have indentured servants. He, he had a home that was big enough to become kind of the center of, of church life there. Man of prominence and means. Verses 4 through 6, Paul gives us an interesting glimpse into his life. He praises them in a few different ways. Look at verse Verses 4 and 5, he says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. I mean, what a <laughs> praise that is. Basically, you know, I'm thankful that you keep the summation of the law. You love your God and you love others. Philemon has a, a serious testimony with the people of God. Look at verse 7, 
says, For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Wouldn't you love that to be your testimony? That the actual wording there has the idea that your bowels have been refreshed. It's not referring to, like, you know, going to the restroom. When it speaks about your bowels being refreshed, it's, you think of when you're tense and you're kind of all in, in knots. And it's just, your tension is around you, you feel pressure. And you know how some people, when they come, it just, all it does is amp up the tension and the pressure. And even if they come with a message of good news, it's just like, ugh. And Paul comes, and Philemon comes, and Paul accommodates when he comes, he comes with a word of faith, with love, love for his God and love for others, and that he is able to communicate that with, in such a way that it, it relieves that tension, that, that stress. It is truth that brings healing and calming and peace. And where, Paul go, where Philemon goes, he refreshes the people around him. So this is the testimony of Philemon, and yet the way Paul speaks to him, you can tell it is not going to be easy for him to receive back Onesimus. He can be gentle, refreshing, loving, faithful, kind, and forgiveness is still really hard. You see what Paul requires of him. It is interesting. We, we talked about how under Roman law, that, that master had almost unilateral right to punish how he wanted. Execution is, is on the table here for Onesimus, more than likely. If he wants to have him killed, he could. The pretty common practice, kind of ugly to even talk about, is they would sometimes even brand these indentured servants who became criminals or something, and they would brand them with a couple letters, basically beware of the thief idea. Those sort of things to really, all the way from killing him to belittling him to putting him in a place where he permanently will, will be paying for and punished for what he has done. And yet, when Paul addresses Philemon, none of those things are even mentioned as if it's possible that those are on the table. Here comes a Christian brother who needs forgiveness, and he's coming to ask for it. It's going to be difficult for Philemon, but there's not an option here for him. He's got to forgive. Paul says, welcome, verse 17, welcome him back. Welcome him back as a dear friend, verses 16 and 17. Receive him as you would receive me, as a beloved brother. We're not talking about just, you know, withhold the worst punishment from him and just deal with him. He's saying, no, warmly welcome him back. No longer as a slave, but as a brother. Warmly receive him back, not judgmental, not with the wrong attitude, not just in a way to deal with him, but warmly receive him back. Verse 18 is interesting. He calls on him to transfer the debt that Onesimus owes. Verse 18, he says, If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. You notice, like, kind of the irony in that? Like, do you think that Philemon is hearing that 
in a way that he's actually going to make Paul pay for it? Just think of it. Okay, I'm an old man, the end of my ministry. I'm languishing in prison over here in Rome. And by the way, I led you to the Lord. You owe me everything. And you have plenty of means to cover it. But if you think it's appropriate, I'll pay for it. Yeah, I mean, he's putting him in a position where there is no option. It's kind of like, I don't know, my mom used to do this to me. Maybe you've experienced it. Let's say she gets home. She's got a car full of groceries. She's just been grocery shopping. I'm outside shooting hoops. This is a long time ago. I don't live with my mom anymore. But, um, <clears throat> and it's, hey, can you help bring these groceries in? Or, you know, if you guys are in the middle game, I can do it. But then she goes into that, you know, I did carry you for nine months in my womb. I had like, you know, the number gets bigger every time, like 82 hours of hard labor. I changed your diapers. And she, she goes through the whole thing of everything she's done for you. But at the end, but I'll get the groceries if you want me to. Like, you know, there's not really an option there. Like, she's not actually giving me a choice. It's either you're a total ungrateful jerk or you do it. And so Paul is kind of saying the same thing. Hey, I have nothing. I'm in prison. I'm an old man. You owe me everything, but I'll cover the debt if you don't want to. So while it's, uh, there is a bit of, of humor, I think, in it and a bit of a power play by Paul, at the same time, Paul acknowledges there is a debt. Onesimus owes Philemon something, something significant, and it needs to be reconciled. Someone has to own that debt. And we've talked about that. We introduced it in, in our idea of forgiveness when we said forgiveness doesn't mean that there's no longer a cost to bear. Forgiveness always comes at a cost. There is always a cost in forgiveness. To put it in just simple terms, let's say you're sitting there, you go over, you get your coffee, you put like your nine creamer packs in it, you come back, you sit down in your chair, you go to cross your legs, boom, the coffee falls over in the chair beside you. <laughs> Everyone's like looking at me real guilty right now. <laughs> like, I'm not talking about you if that's apparently happened to some of you before. But you knock that coffee over, stains, gets the chair all messed up. I see it happen. We got like three options here. I can come to you at the service. Josh, I saw you knock that coffee over. Uh, it's no big deal. The chairs are 50 bucks, and we can replace it. Just, you know, throw 50 bucks extra in the offering next week, which would make 52 for Josh. And, you know, and then we are, <laughs> and then we're good to go. He's bearing the cost of it. Or we could do it a different way. I come to Josh and I'm like, hey, I saw you knocked over. It's no big deal. I don't want to make you give me 50 bucks, but why don't you just, like, for the month of June, like, maybe help clean up the church, just do some things to kind of help. We sort of share the cost, make a little bit of a deal here where, you know, I'm not going to make him pay for it, I'll bear it, but he's going to do some work to help out. Or the third way to be, which would be like the normal way, would be like, Josh comes to me, he's like, oh man, I'm really sorry, I knocked that coffee over with all the creamer, made a big stain. It's like, dude, it doesn't matter, whatever, coffee spills all the time, don't worry about it, we'll figure out how to replace a chair. Now, in that last one, it, it doesn't make the cost disappear. He ruined a chair that was 50 bucks. I'm just saying, don't worry about it, I'll bear the cost. Or we'll bear the cost, Redeemer will bear the cost, whatever it is. Let's say it's my personal chair. I'll bear the cost. Don't worry about it. It doesn't make the cost disappear. 
Now, sometimes in life, the cost is super insignificant. It doesn't even feel like much of a burden. Let's say your kid does something little, he shouldn't. He comes to you and asks for forgiveness. You're thrilled that he recognized he did wrong. He came to you. You're ready to offer forgiveness. You'll bear the cost for, I don't know, the lost Lego or whatever it might be that's almost insignificant. But it's still a cost. However, in life, it becomes more complicated because Rarely is the cost measured in economical terms. Rarely is it a $50 cost. Usually what it is, is you did something and it's stolen a lot of joy from my life. It's cost me a lot of time trying to battle the, the, the thoughts and battle the anger and ba- battle thoughts of revenge. And, and it's, it's really caused me a lot of heartache in my life. Or maybe you cost me a relationship. You know, you totally altered and changed my relationship with that person, the way you talked about me. It's cost me my reputation. It's cost me the possibility of of a goal that I was going after. That, That opportunity is no longer available to me. My joy, my time, my reputation, that relationship, you've stolen that from me. That's typically the type of cost that we're talking about. And when you come and you ask for forgiveness and and someone comes and asks for forgiveness or you go and ask for forgiveness, however it is, and that person forgives you, it doesn't mean no cost all of a sudden. That's what makes it difficult is that person has to realize, okay, I've lost my influence and my relationship with this person and it's hurt my reputation and it's stolen this opportunity, but I'm not going to hold it to your account anymore. I bear that cost. I release you, I forgive you of that. And again, we look to Jesus Christ as our example in this. And we have to be captured by this. Then we'll be able to, in the right spirit, bear the cost that is necessary in forgiveness. That when when God forgives you, it wasn't without a cost. He didn't just say, you sinned, I choose to not care about it anymore. I'll sweep that under the rug. No big deal. Even as we read in Isaiah, I cast your sins behind my back. It is by his wounds that we are healed. It is through his blood that we experience the remission for sin. Even as our catechism said to say, he became a curse for us. Jesus literally, he died. He became sin. He went to hell. Maybe not spatially, but he became sin. He felt that curse and he had God forsake him and turn his back on him. That is the experience of the damned. In order that you can be forgiven. And I know it's easy to see, look at someone else and think, wow, God had to do a lot to forgive them, and you kind of give yourself this pass. And that's not how it works. You deserve none of it. The sin you cherish and continue to cherish at times, that you battle, that you struggle, it's not just swept under the rug. The reason it's forgiven, the reason it's cast behind the back is because Jesus became sin for you. That's what's so significant about the table. Part of what's so significant is when we come, we we come and we feel self-sufficient. And when we come to the table, we realize that we need this sustenance from the Lord. Because we have nothing to stand on except forgiveness offered to us through 
Jesus Christ, and we remember that in the bread and in the blood, and we're reminded that nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. And so now as we look at it person to person, Philemon, receive him back, welcome him back, and you can't just pretend it didn't happen. Whatever that debt is, whatever that might be, the, the, the money, the hurt to Philemon's feelings, what it might have caused to his reputation, you own it. You own the debt and receive him back. He continues with what is expected. Let me read this quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, then we'll move on. It's a good quote. He says, he wrote on Christian love, one for another. Bonhoeffer writes, my brother's burden, which I must bear, is not only his outward lot, so not just difficulty, but it's also his natural characteristics and gifts. Quite literally, I bear his sin. The only way to bear that sin is by forgiving it in the power of the cross of Christ in which I now share. Forgiveness, then, is the Christ-like suffering which it is the Christian's duty to share. That idea of suffering, that idea of cost, that idea of bearing that person's sin, not in a redemptive way like Christ can, but in a heart of forgiveness that reflects the work of our Lord. Finally, Paul expands on Philemon's call to forgive. It's not just an attitude and spirit of welcoming him back, but it is now to take action, to care for him, to welcome him into his home, to extend mercy and love and grace, replace all the anger and revenge with active love. See that in verses 16, 17, verse 21. We looked at this last week just quickly, but the New Testament uses two words to describe forgiveness. Ephemi would be the first, and it has the idea of releasing or remitting. The second, charizomai, means to bestow favor or freely give. So it has the idea of both releasing and then replacing it with, with favor. One article I read said this, just as health is not the absence of illness, forgiveness is not the absence of unforgiveness. That is to say that one does not forgive by merely avoiding revengeful thoughts towards another person, but forgiveness actually consists of replacing those vengeful thoughts with grace and mercy and love. And that is what Philemon is called to do for Onesimus. Finally, Paul tells him in verse 22, at the same time, as you welcome Nesimus back, at the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. In other words, I'm coming to check on you. <laughs> There's, you know, after you receive him, I'll be there shortly to see how it's going. Again, Philemon had no real option. He has to forgive. He's a man who's been forgiven, understands it, Onesimus is coming back as a sinner who is coming back to make things right, to ask for forgiveness, to reconcile this debt. Philemon has to forgive, and that is the call here. Finally, we see Paul. A lot of Paul has already come out through this, but if Onesimus is someone who needs forgiveness, Philemon is someone who has the opportunity to forgive, then Paul is someone who is encouraging forgiveness. He is that third-party speaker he makes, the, the whole chapter is 
one plea after another, sometimes very forceful, towards Philemon. You know, I made light of, of Paul's offer to pay the debt, but at the same time, it is his offer there to, to kind of foot the bill is an indication of his willingness to be involved. It's kind of a messy situation. It's a little uncomfortable, and yet he's walking into the middle of it. He's so invested that in verse 20, he asks that Philemon forgive Onesimus for Paul's own refreshment, for his own joy, and of course that he will remain involved. I just quickly want to look at Paul's method and see how we can mirror that, being someone who encourages others to forgive. First, we see that Paul had positively invested in Philemon and Onesimus. His first interaction with them isn't confronting them to make things right. I mean, he's, he has invested in them positively, both of them, we see that. Build a close relationship where he has poured into them, where he has cared for them, where he has loved them. I think before you can become someone who, who encourages and by, by way of confronting and pointing out, here's an area you need to work on, it, it typically can't be the first time you ever talk to that person, the first time you ever show interest in that person, is to confront them. I think this works two ways. It, it then becomes on you that you need to be investing in people genuinely, caringly, and lovingly. Not just so at some point you can be mean, but you do it to encourage them joy, and then you have earned that right, that ability. And on the other hand, you need to recognize when people have invested in you, have loved you, have cared for you, that then when they come and they tell you something that's a little harder to hear, or they confront you in some way with an issue in your life, I think the tendency is just to be like, well, that person no longer is my friend. They're mean to me. Instead of remembering, this is commanded in Scripture. They are, we are called to do this. That person, remember, they've invested in me. They've been kind to me. They have helped me in times of need. They've wept with me when I wept. Rejoice when I rejoice. They, they've been around me. Now they're speaking into my life. It's not easy for them. They're not dying to come and tell me something difficult. And yet I can tell you from experience, it, it's more often than not, it just becomes... I don't want to hear that. You're a bad person now. You, you've offended me. You're mean. That's our natural reaction. When I hear criticism or I hear something someone say about in my life that needs to change, no matter how close I am, I have to fight that feeling to be defenseful or to be like, well, you think that's wrong with me? I can name three things wrong with you right now. You know? It just becomes super unhelpful and unchristian in the way we deal with it. But Paul has positively invested in them. He's also encouraged them. He, he's thankful for the gifts of Philemon. He's thankful for the change in Onesimus. He thanks the Lord. He encourages them by speaking to them about the grace that he sees taking place in their life, the fruit that he sees in their life. That is so encouraging to people. We need to... to grow that in our lives, that when we see kind of those graces and those fruit coming out in someone's life, that we're not nervous to go up and tell them, hey, I appreciate how I've seen you grow. I appreciate, you know, just your gracious spirit towards my kids and how you're always kind. I appreciate just your diligence, serving behind the scenes. That means a lot to a pastor. I'm not asking you to, like, come up and praise me afterwards. You know, it'll be awkward now. But 
typically. That, that's encouraging. When you come to a pastor and say, I appreciate that sermon. It spoke to my life in this area right now. I know a lot of people feel that. You just don't verbalize it. But when you do that, when you are building up those people and recognizing God's grace in their life and you're investing in them positively, then it gives you that window to speak into their life when it's a bit more uncomfortable and when sin needs to be confronted. He appeals to him on the basis of love. Again, this is kind of funny of Paul. You see it in there where he says, I could pull rank on you, basically, and make you do this, but I'd prefer to appeal to you in love. Verses 8, Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you what to do, command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, now a prisoner, also in Christ Jesus, then he makes his appeal. I get saying that before the appeal makes it a little less genuine. Um, but he appeals to him on the basis of love. You know, I want you to see this. I want this to be a good thing for you, not just that I'm tearing you down, but that you'll see it, Philemon, and you'll receive him back as you should. He does so with authority, too. Paul does speak. There are people that, whether it's through position or relationship, however God has placed you in someone's life, where you have that authority, you have that position, you have that relationship to speak into someone's life, and you need to be bold to do it. Again, it's not easy to speak that way lovingly to someone, just like it's not easy to receive it, but that is the command. And then he highlights the importance of it. You see it all throughout, finally, the, all throughout this letter. It's important to Paul that it takes place. It's important to Philemon that it takes place. It's important to Onesimus that it takes place. It's important to the church. It's important to the testimony of the church to those outside that this forgiveness takes place. Verse 6 is a helpful little verse. It says, I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. It, it can be a little confusing, but I think in context, he's saying, I pray that the sharing of your faith, it's not exactly witnessing, though it might include that, but it has the idea of the faith that has gripped you, your salvation, that as it is then generously poured out, as it is communicated, as it flows from you, you will grow in your knowledge of God. That is to say, as then you come to a difficult situation and your faith is producing the fruit of forgiveness, it is teaching you, it is bringing you the full knowledge of what forgiveness means in your life. Just like we've talked about in the weddings, there's been several weddings in the last um, few weeks, months, others coming up. We speak about how not only does Christ and his relationship to the church teach us what marriage is, but also marriage itself teaches us of Jesus' love and the church's mission to Jesus. In that Ephesians context, as it paints the picture back and forth, that as we realize what self-sacrificing love and giving ourselves to someone really means, we learn that in marriage, it gives us a better idea of what Jesus did for his church and what the church owes to Christ. Forgiveness does the same thing. We forgive because 
God forgave. That is what we are reflecting. And yet, at the same time, as we're forgiving, as we're communicating that faith, it brings us to the full knowledge to understand better our sin and what it means for God to forgive us. It's important that it is taking place to Paul, to Onesimus, to Philemon. So, to finish, Onesimus, one who needs forgiveness. If you find yourself in that spot right now, if not right now, you will soon enough. There must be a willingness to admit guilt and ask for mercy and forgiveness. When you need forgiveness, you have to go and ask for it. Realize that forgiveness does not remove the cost. Onesimus, as he goes, he asks for forgiveness. He has to realize this, the debt still is out there that needs to be reconciled. Paul is telling Philemon, you own it. You own the debt. You own the cost. But Onesimus has to realize there's still something that needs to be reconciled. Finally, I think for Onesimus, we see that God uses people who have really messed up. (laughs) A big screw-up in your life doesn't make you useless. But a heart of repentance and faith turning to Christ makes you useful for the kingdom. Because we're all sinners. We're all going to stumble. We're all going to mess up. And it doesn't make you useless. What makes you useless is a heart that is unwilling to receive or show mercy. And those belong together. The one who receives mercy shows mercy. Philemon, one with an opportunity to forgive. Maybe you see, find yourself in this position right now. You have an opportunity to forgive just the knowledge that it's difficult. It's difficult to not cherish bitterness. It's difficult in those moments to live with a forgiving spirit, even if things haven't been fully resolved or or reconciled yet? How do you live without cherishing up vengeance? How do you show kindness and love towards someone? How are you preparing your heart that when that opportunity comes, when there is finally, if it comes, that that, that, that sit down where we can talk, that you are ready in a moment to bear some of the costs and to forgive True forgiveness goes much further than simply saying some words or letting go of an offense. That's what we learn about it. It extends into showing grace and mercy. And finally, forgiveness teaches you of God's grace in your life, and it's a testimony to others. The one with the opportunity to forgive. It's difficult, but there's no option if you belong to the kingdom of God. And it goes beyond just not being unforgiving. Finally, Paul, one who encourages forgiveness. Invest in others with love, with time, with care, with encouragement now and always. Be a peacemaker, not a potster. Paul is coming into this to be a peacemaker, to help them find peace, not to stir the pot and get one riled up at the other. That's easier to do than to help make peace. Paul does not act that way. He teaches us that bearing others' burdens and loving others means getting involved in the more difficult conversations. 
just can't be the easy parts of people's lives you are involved in when you love them and bear their burdens. It extends beyond that. Finally, be more concerned for the welfare of your brother and the testimony of Christ than for the protection of your time and your resources. You may be disappointed, you may be taken advantage of, but true love takes that risk. Sometimes I think we don't get involved that way because we know if it were just this one conversation, maybe, but I know it's going to invest a lot of time and a lot of energy, and I've reasoned that way. It's just not worth it. And yet that's the call, is to be there and to be part of someone's life through the process. Remember our definition of forgiveness. We borrowed or stole, whatever you want to call it, from Thomas Watson. When we strive against all thoughts of revenge, when we will not do our enemies mischief, but wish well to them, grieve at their calamities, pray for them, seek reconciliation with them, and show ourselves ready on all occasions to relieve them. Wherever you find yourself in that spectrum right now, and you'll be in all those positions at one point, one who needs forgiveness, one with an opportunity to forgive, or one who is encouraging others in that forgiveness, be faithful to the Lord. Here's a good model, a good case study for us to look at and to copy. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your forgiveness offered to us in the gospel. We thank you that it transforms our lives. Might you make us 